What to do when you don't know what to do, part two, other tongues, amen. Last week we talked about how that there are times in our lives when we face the challenges of life, when it seems like the whole world is closing in all around us. Times when so many things are coming against us from all sides, we don't have any answers. We don't know what to do. Sometimes we don't even know where to begin to pray. Anybody else out there besides me ever been there? Amen. Amen. That's why it's crucial for believers to be filled with the Holy Ghost and learn to pray in other tongues. It's not just for your entertainment. It is for your spiritual survival. It's so sad to me that so many in the body of Christ are stiff-arming the Holy Ghost and stiff-arming this wonderful, powerful tool. They don't realize how it would revolutionize and change their life for the better. Amen? Take their spiritual walk to a whole new level. So we mentioned this last week kind of in passing because last week we concentrated on some biblical examples of how people faced impossible odds, but they chose to press in and seek the Lord and find out exactly what to do when in their own wisdom, in their own strength, they didn't know what to do. Today, I'd like to delve a little deeper into the subject of praying in tongues. Maybe attack it from a perspective that you haven't heard before. Especially during those times in our lives when we just don't know what to do. Amen? Well, it turns out that's exactly what tongues was invented for or given to us for by the Lord God. So let's read again Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 29. The Bible says, Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost here, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, that means weaknesses, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself, should say Himself, maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now in the classical Greek, that actually that last phrase there, should read something like this, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be articulated in our natural language, our own native tongue. Amen? It's a way to bypass your mind. And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Amen. Right off the bat, you find out here in the second verse in this passage, That when you pray in the Holy Ghost, when you pray in tongues, you are praying perfect intercession. It's the only time when you know for sure that you're praying perfect prayers. I, for one, want to pray perfect prayers. Amen? Amen. Praise God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now, There's so many people out there that take this verse out of its setting, out of its context, but you have to be honest and realize that this is part of this passage that's talking about praying in other tongues, praying in the Holy Ghost. So I don't think you can really claim that verse unless you're someone who prays regularly in the Holy Ghost because the Bible says when you pray in the Holy Ghost, you're offering up perfect intercession for yourself and for your fellow saints according to the will of God. And when you do that, it causes all things to work together for your good and the good of those that you're praying for, even though you may not even know that you're praying for them. Amen? But it's just a Bible fact. It's just a fact of the spirit realm that God communicates to New Testament believers spirit 
to spirit. And tongues is one of the primary tools that he uses to do so. 1 Corinthians 14.2 says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. So right off the bat, we haven't even finished the verse yet. We know this is talking about prayer. When you speak to God, you're praying. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. So two things from this verse. Number one, you know that it's talking about praying in tongues. Number two, you know that when you pray in tongues to the Father, you pray out the mysteries of God for your life and the life of your fellow saints. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. 1 Corinthians 14, 14 in the Amplified is very revealing. It says, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prays, but my mind is unproductive, it bears no fruit and helps nobody. When you pray in the Holy Ghost, it's a spiritual thing. Spirit to spirit, heart to heart, deep unto deep, you're communicating in a special, powerful, supernatural way with the Father God. There's nothing like it. And I want you to realize here that in both of these verses, the Spirit is emphasized. 1 Corinthians 14, 2, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. This is something that's going on in the Spirit realm, not in your mind. 1 Corinthians 14, 14 says, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prays. This is a spiritual phenomenon. It has nothing to do with your mind. In fact, it bypasses your mind. It used to bother me when I drove in traffic or drove on long distances and I'm driving my car and I would pray in the Holy Ghost for two, three, four, five, six hours sometimes on a long trip. And it kind of used to bother me because, you know, my mind would just kind of wander and I would pay attention to the road and the cars in front of me and the cars beside me. I'm using my mind to keep myself safe driving down the highway. But what I finally realized is that's the way tongues works. It's your spirit man going to work for you and it doesn't involve your mind. That's the beauty of it. You mean you just drive down the road talking in tongues? Yes. How are you able to pay attention to what you're doing? Because it's not a mental thing. It's a spiritual thing. Glory to God. Many times over the years, because I pray in the Holy Ghost all the time in my car. If I'm in my car by myself, occasionally I'll listen to worship music. But most of the time, I'm praying in the Holy Ghost. My mouth is moving a mile a second at the speed of light. And I've had people that I know drive by me and tell me later, some of my fellow pilots when I was flying for the Air Force Reserve said, hey, Flex, that was my call sign in in the Air Force. We drove by you in traffic the other day and you was cussing up a storm. I said, I wasn't cussing. Well, what were you doing? Your mouth was moving awful fast. I said, I was praying. Praying? Like that? I said, yeah, I was praying in other tongues. And usually they would turn and walk away because at that point they didn't want to hear anymore. The flow of water is used as a type of the Spirit of God and also as a type of the Spirit of man, especially when it relates to communication between God and man. John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. This is Jesus. 
he's in Jerusalem at a special feast. And he gets up here in verse 37. He says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Amen. That was happening here today. Praise God. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. The thing I want you to see is Jesus likened this communication or this thing that would come out of your spirit when you got filled with the Holy Ghost, he likened it to the flow of living water. Living means turbulent, active, moving water. So get used to that metaphor because it reoccurs in Scripture over and over and over again. There's even places in the Scripture where it says, I heard the voice of the Lord and it was like the voice of many waters. It's a very common metaphor and for good reason. Now, for years I read this. Jesus says here in verse 38, He that believeth on me as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I've never heard a single preacher, doesn't mean it hadn't happened, I just never heard a single preacher tell us where that scripture was that Jesus was quoting. Well, I got a treat for you this morning. <laughs> I'm going to tell you where that scripture comes from. It comes from Isaiah 58, verse 10 and 11. Listen to this, this is so cool. And if thou draw out, remember those words, and if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity and thy darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones and thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. Amen. What's being said here? If you get to the point in your spiritual life when you begin to cry out from the depths of your being for the poor and for the needy and for the afflicted and you're willing to be led by the Spirit of God to go do something about it. God says when you do that, you'll be like a watered garden and those rivers of living water will flow continually out of you. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 7. This is what he was quoting. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, these scriptures and some more that we're going to read here in a minute are Old Testament types of praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. Learn to draw out, remember that word, learn to draw out of that which is within you, and the Lord shall guide you continually. Amen? Over there in John chapter 2, verse 8, when Jesus turned the water to wine, He told the servants, He said, fill the water pots. They were really earthen vessels. He said, fill them to the brim. Now, those earthen vessels, if you remember, are there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Paul said, we have this treasure, the treasure of God's Spirit in earthen vessels. So I submit to you that those water pots were types of human beings. And when Jesus said, fill them up with water, that was a type of being saved. Isaiah 12 says, with joy I will draw from the wells of salvation. So when you get saved, God deposits a well of water in your spirit. But he didn't stop there. He changed the water to living water. He changed the water to wine. 
Wine is water with a little zing added to it. Amen. That's why they call it living water. But notice, listen, what did Jesus say to the servants after he turned the water into wine? He said, draw out now, draw out now, draw out. That's a type of the baptized in the Holy Ghost, born again believer, drawing out from what is in the inside of him and letting those rivers of living water flow out. And when you let that happen, others get splashed on by the Holy Ghost so they can taste and see that the Lord is good. Remember, they took the new wine and they took it to the Lord of the feast and let him taste it. And he said, this is the best wine I've ever tasted. You say the best to last. So let the rivers of living water flow out of you so others can taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Glory to God. Proverbs 20, verse 5, probably one of my most favorite verses in the Bible because this is the way I live my life. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. That's a type of praying in the Holy Ghost. You want to know what the plans of God are for your life? Some translations say the plans and purposes of man are like deep water in his heart. But a man of understanding will draw those plans out. Listen, the moment you were conceived, Jesus had a plan for you and he put that plan into your little embryo. And it laid there dormant until one day after you said yes to Jesus, you became aware of that calling at one level or another. Amen? Amen. It's always been in there. Well, I, all of a sudden I got this desire to do such and such and Jesus is saying, no, it wasn't all of a sudden. It's been there all along. I just activated it. I just turned on the switch. Glory to God. So the way that you can do that, the way that you can pray out the divine will of God for your life is by praying in the Holy Ghost and continually drawing out from what is on the inside of you those rivers of living water. And it'll bring power, enlightenment, revelation to your life you know dan and ashley were graduates of our bible school in louisiana and uh, they can vouch for this for 10 years i was the director of word of life school of ministry and they heard me say this so many times i'm sure they thought it was like a broken record you need to learn to pray in the holy ghost you need to pray out your destiny by praying in the holy ghost isn't that what i would say praise god it's so important Proverbs 18, verse 4, the metaphors continue. The words of a man's mouth are as deep waters and the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook. There it is again. Amen. Psalm 42, verse 7. Listen to it in the Jubilee translation. Deep calls unto deep at the voice of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Again, water is used as a metaphor for divine spirit-to-spirit communication between God and man, between God and the born-again, spirit-filled, tongue-talking believer. Now listen, I've been talking in tongues for, let me do the math, this April, 45 years. So if you're going to try and talk me out of talking in tongues, take your best shot. You're not going to talk me out of it. I've seen firsthand the benefit the intimacy with God that is possible, the worship, the revelation, the transformation, the empowerment. 
It is just something you need in your life. It's essential. If you're going to become the man or woman that God created you to be, you need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost and you need to be talking in tongues. When we're in darkness, when we don't know what to do, God can bring enlightenment and empowerment to our spirit. Remember, he communicates spirit to spirit. You know, some people say that revelation is when what you read in the scriptures or hear from the Lord drops down in your spirit. I kind of have a different viewpoint. I think your spirit, man, is always in tune with what's going on spiritually. And I think true revelation is when your mind sees what your spirit has seen all along and they become united and the mind goes, I see it now. And your spirit man says, finally, now we can go on to the next revelation. So Proverbs 20 verse 27, again, when we're in darkness, when we don't know what to do, when you pray in the Holy Ghost, God can bring enlightenment and empowerment to your spirit. Proverbs 20, verse 27. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. In the NIV, it says it uh, even better. The human spirit is the lamp of the Lord that sheds light on one's inmost being. If you want to be enlightened about anything, it begins in your spirit. Psalm 18, verse 28 and 29. For thou wilt light my candle. Remember, the candle is the human spirit. For thou wilt light my candle. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. More on that in a minute. When we don't know what to do, and we decide to press into God for an answer, and pray in the Holy Ghost, He will enlighten us. He will embolden us. He will show us the way. And as we discussed last week, He will show us the way out of a hopeless situation. He will show us how to overcome overwhelming odds. He will show us what to do when all seems lost. Not only will He enlighten us, but He will empower us to do things in His strength that we could not do in our own strength. To run through a troop, I did a study of this verse. To run through a troop means quite literally to single-handedly defeat a foe when you're hopelessly outnumbered. To leap over a wall is not talking about a small garden fence. It's talking about something supernatural, like being able to leap a tall building in a single bound, like they used to say about Superman back in the day. We're talking about something supernatural. Read some of the exploits of David and his mighty men. They did some supernatural things in warfare. One of the best things you can do to speed up this process of enlightenment and empowerment is to pray in other tongues. I'm not here to say that tongues is the only way you receive enlightenment and empowerment. I'm just saying one of the best ways that you can enhance and speed up this process is by praying in other tongues. Glory to God. You know, we've been facing some things here at Faith Life Fellowship, facing some things in our family, and I've been praying the Holy Ghost probably every day for three weeks, every time I'm alone, hours a day praying in the Holy Ghost, every day, every day. You know why? I need revelation. I need to know what to do. I need enlightenment. I need empowerment. Hallelujah. Let me wrap this up with some personal examples. 
Back in the summer of 1987, I was seeking the Lord about what to do because I didn't know what to do. Trish and I were stationed in Corpus Christi with our two young daughters, and Steffi hadn't been born yet. I was with the Marines. I was a flyer down there. I was a flight instructor, also worked on the, the chief of naval air training staff, worked for the admiral there. And it was a very cushy job, and uh, I had an offer to stay two more years on station there, but I knew in my spirit it was time for me to leave the Marine Corps. God had some other things for me to do. So I just didn't know what that was. And so I spent the entire summer, pretty much of 1987, praying and fasting. I usually would fast the noon meal, and my routine would be something like this. We lived on base, and the headquarters where I worked was, you know, five minutes from the house. So every day during the work day, I would come home to be with my wife during lunch. Only I would come home, I would kiss her, she would sit down, fix her lunch, and I would go back to the back bedroom, and I would pray in the Holy Ghost for 30, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour, before I went back to work. Just seeking the Lord, saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? I know I have a really strong call to ministry. Do you want me to go to Bible school? Do you want me to go to Rhema? Is that what you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What's next for me? Lord, I still love flying. If it's at all possible, I'd like to stay flying somehow, some way. And so about six weeks in this process, I was praying in the Holy Ghost this one particular day. And for some reason, I had the inclination to grab a pad, a paper, and a pencil. And I went back to the back bedroom and I started praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, probably about the 40, 45-minute mark, all of a sudden, I had a supernatural encounter with the Lord. And He spoke to me in a very powerful way. And all I did was listen and write down what He told me. And He gave me a three-part plan. He said, I want you to pursue a three-part plan. And when you do, you'll be able to walk out the destiny that I have for you. Number one, he said, you can continue to fly, but leave the Marine Corps and go fly with the Air National Guard or the Air Force Reserve. Number two, pursue advanced degrees in engineering. At the time, I just had a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering. And number three, he said, and this is the most important, preach and teach my word wherever and whenever you're given the opportunity. It was a life changing encounter with God and it came because I pressed in and I prayed in the Holy Ghost and I fasted until I heard from the Lord and I want to tell you why this is so important that one moment spent in the presence of God charted the course of my life for the next 22 years that one moment so don't underestimate the ability of God to get some things to you that are very important by praying in the Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen? Praise God. So I want to fast forward and tell you that it's great to have a plan like that, but then you have to implement the plan. Then you have to walk it out. And each of those three things, in my estimation, represented something that was impossible in my own strength. Okay? I didn't have a clue as to how to transition from Marine Corps active duty to Air National Guard or Air Force Reserve. I heard that it was possible, but it was one of those ethereal things that, you know, nobody knew how to do. <laughs> so that was obstacle number one. Number two, when he said, I want you to get advanced degrees in engineering, that means master's and Ph.D. And he said, yes. 
May I remind you, Lord, that my grade point average was a 1.97. Not exactly stellar academics at NC State. I mean, you know, I had friends that graduated with me, cum laude and magnum cum laude. I graduated, thank the Lord. But somewhere in this process, as I'm walking along... I ended up getting a master's degree in mechanical engineering with a 3.5 grade point average, I might add. Listen, when God empowers you, when God tells you to do something, what is lacking intellectually will be provided. He took my brain to another level. That's all I can say. When it came time to go back and get my Ph.D., and the Lord was dealing with me about that, he said, you got your master's, and it's been a while. You need to go back to school. This would be about 1999. I said, okay, Lord, I'll check into it. So I went to Tech, Louisiana Tech. That's where I got my master's degree. And I said, what all is involved? I talked to an advisor about what all is involved in getting a Ph.D. He said, well, you know, thank God you got your master's here at Louisiana Tech. So all that coursework will count towards your Ph.D. coursework. So you really only have to take eight courses and do your research and dissertation, and you can get your Ph.D. I said, great. And I started to skip out of there. And then he said, but there's one thing. Your GRE scores from your master's program are too low. They were acceptable for the master's program, but we have a higher bar for the Ph.D. I said, okay, okay, what, what, what does it need to be? Well, it needs to be about 200 points higher than what yours is. I'm like, 200 points. Okay, all right, praise God. So I left that meeting with this advisor, kind of downcast, and, and I went and I sought the Lord. I didn't know what to do. I started praying in the Holy Ghost. I just started praying in the Holy Ghost. I was driving out of the parking lot, driving down the road, thinking about how in the world I'm going to raise my score 200 points. That's unheard of. It's never been done, statistically speaking. And I felt the Lord speak to me. He said, It'll be all right. You can do it. I'll help you. I was like, okay. So, shortly after that, I continued to pray in the Holy Ghost. I had a dream. And in the dream, I was facing three foes. And they came to me to do me bodily harm. And I knew I was going to have to battle them. And so they came to me, and one of them tripped and knocked himself out. So the odds were better already. (laughs) So I remember in the dream... I balled up my fists and I said, you come to me in the name of your God, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God most high and I will defeat you. And then I woke up as I started checking into the GRE after I had this dream, I realized, and I had forgotten this because it had been about 10 years since I took the GRE, that the GRE has three parts. There's a math, verbal and a quantitative analysis part. And I remember reading in the literature that the quantitative analysis uh, score didn't count. That's the guy who knocked himself out. So so all I had to worry about was the verbal and the math. And I already had the word of the Lord that he was going to help me with it. So I went down. I registered to take the GRE. I went down to Books a Million, and I got me a book. And this is not an exaggeration. This is a true statement. GRE for dummies. (laughs) I still have it. And I remember, you know, going through all the math exercises and the verbal. I always used to score really high verbally. It's a mystery to me how I could have all this math training and not score as high mathematically as I did verbally. But I worked through the workbook faithfully, 
week after week after week. I scheduled the test, and I'm, I'm feeling really good because I'm picking up on all these math tips, you know, how to throw out distractors and all these other techniques to boost your score. And all of a sudden, I flip the book over and read on the back side. It says, if you will faithfully do all of these examples and all of the workbook, you can expect to raise your score by as much as 50 points. I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my Lord. You know, and I just said, well, I can't, I can't be moved by that. I have the word of the Lord. He said he would help me. So I went down to the Sylvan Learning Center in Bossier City, Louisiana, and went there to take my test. And I did not know it, but I was the first person to take the new computerized version. Remember back in the day when you'd fill in the dots and you could skip over questions and come back and and revisit? Well, with the computer version, you had to make your best guess and move on. There was no going back. I thought, great! (laughs) That's just awesome! I'm the first person in the county to take this new test. So it was about, I guess it was about four hours, long test, two hours on the verbal and two hours on the math, a little break in between. And I was just zipping through it. And uh, I really had no conscious idea of how I was doing. I was just doing my best. I was just picking the best answer, going to the next, picking the best answer. I did notice that I was able to finish all the sections and I'd never done that before. I did notice that something's different. I was able to finish all the sections. I was not able to do that the first time I took the GRE. So at the end of the test, it says, okay, you're complete. If you push button A, we will send your scores to the school that you've listed on your paperwork. You can hit button B, and it'll be like you never took it. We'll wipe this from our memory banks, and you can come another time and take the test again. I tell you what, I remember going like this. You know, my finger was hovering around, which... You know, A or B. And finally, I just said, okay, let's just get this over with. I went, hit button A, and within a few seconds, my score flashed up and almost fell out of my chair. I had improved my score by not 200 points, 210 points higher. Listen, if God tells you to do something, he will enlighten, he will empower you to do it. And praying in the Holy Ghost was a prominent part of this whole episode. Not only do you get the plan of God by praying in the Holy Ghost, but you walk it out by praying in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. So in conclusion, if you haven't already taken the plunge and gotten filled with the Holy Ghost and allowed that prayer language to rise up on the inside of you, I urge you to do so. It'll change your life. It'll take your spiritual walk to a whole new level. It will enable you to communicate with God in a unique, supernatural, and powerful way. It will enlighten you, it will embolden you, and it will empower you to live the life that God created you to live. Amen? Amen. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection, and He's coming back again. We believe.